Hey guys, today's going to be such a fun episode. We're going to be talking about nine thoughts about the church in 2023. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to be deep diving into some quotes and some tweets and some things that I've even personally thought of and thought through that I think will be super valuable to you, regardless of you are just serving in the church twice a month or you're a lead pastor. I think these thoughts will genuinely help you. They'll help you think clearly about the goals that we're doing together and the church that we see in the future that we're building. Super, super excited to jump in. I want to highlight something in the show notes. And if you're watching this on YouTube, in the description, there's going to be a link tree. And at the in my link tree, there's plenty of free resources. If you're trying to find a church, if you want to edit some videos, if you want to create your own podcast, there are going to be a lot of great things in that link tree. And I want you to check it out. So make sure to check that out. Uh, if you can, leave a review on this podcast or subscribe on YouTube. Like I said, we're going to jump right into these nine thoughts. And hopefully, the, again, it's going to add some value. We're not perfect. We're not experts, but really these are just observations and things that I believe can genuinely, genuinely increase. Even if we get 1% better, again, we're still getting better. So jumping in right off the bat, number one, stop calling your visitors visitors. I know, but even the word visitors has such a negative connotation, right? Like if I, if you're coming to my home and you're just a visitor or you're traveling and you're a visitor of something, you're a visitor of another church, you're a visitor of an event, you're a visitor of a friend. What that is saying is it's a transient person. They're a visitor. They're coming. They're going to get something they're going to receive. They're going to get a gift. They're going to leave. That's it. A visitor is not a person who stays. What I would present to you or what I would recommend to you is calling them guests. And a lot of churches do this, right? You might already do this. But just to help us think through why, think about a guest, a guest we prepare for, a guest we get their favorite drinks, we get their favorite food. We're going to create the clean and a clean apartment in California for my wife and I to, for people to come over and enjoy our time together. We're going to create the best atmosphere possible for them to feel at home. You are a guest in my home. A visitor, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I want you to come visit, right? Because you just don't really know who they are. You know that they're not going to come back again. But a guest, we're super intentional with. So we don't want to. We don't want to call them visitors. We don't want to say that they're a visitor from the stage, from your communication on on any of your marketing platforms. None of that. You don't. You don't want to call people visitors. You don't want to say, hey, if you're a first time visitor, if you're visiting our church, if you're visiting for the first time, hey, if you're a guest at our church today. We want to say, welcome home. The guest language is absolutely imperative. Stop calling them visitors, call them guests. Jumping into number two, we're going to rock through these. It's going to be super helpful. Number two, the 10 minutes after service are the most important minutes of the service. Here's why. The 10 minutes after service will indicate the culture and health of your team. 10 minutes after church, church, you just said the ending prayer, the, the notes, whatever. You just ran through your MC, shut the service down. All right, have a good weekend. Love you guys. Cool what happens right from that moment until people leave? Are they hanging around? Are they talking? And if you're a lead pastor or you're leading the guest experience team, maybe take a step back and stand on the wall and just observe what happens. Do all the team just somehow come together in a little click and talk and the people leaving? Because here's what we do. We only care about when people come into the service. We have like the lead pastors at the front door. The people with the welcome signs are smiling. Hey, welcome. We're so excited for you to come. But then they leave and there's nothing. They're like, what just happened? And they, they go get their coffee cup because it's the first time guest. And they go, what did I just do? I didn't talk to anyone. There's no connection. 
I didn't get invited to anything. And they might not even be thinking about that. But what we can do is use that as a weapon, as a tool in a positive way. Hey, the last, the 10 minutes after service, man, we need to put just as much as energy and excitement and intentionality at the 10 minutes after as we would 10 minutes before service. Is the music going? Is there a vibrant culture outside? Are people having fun? Are they excited? The people who introduce them into the, the sanctuary, are they still there? Are they saying goodbye? The same people saying hello or saying goodbye? Because what happens is we start to remember phases. And just like if you and I met at coffee, you probably wouldn't remember any of the conversation, but you would remember how I left. Imagine this, you and I, we get coffee. It's like, what's up, bro? Dap it up. Like we hang out, we have a great dialogue and an hour and a half hits on the dot and I just get up and leave. That'd be a little awkward, right? Like that, that's making me feel awkward. You need to say goodbye. You need to dap each other up, bro. Love you. We'll see you next week, dude. I appreciate you so much. And you leave going, man, I feel good. Like, I don't feel like I just wasted my time. People have a lot of stuff going on. And in America, we don't prioritize the church in general. So what would happen if we took so much intentionality on the end of the service and we made sure people ended with joy in their hearts, with encouragement, with excitement? There's high, high energy music going out outside. It's fun. Not, it's like a funeral. That's, that's really what it is. We, we, the service ends, the music, the band stops, and people leave. And it's just like, wow, like, I guess I'm just going to go get lunch. Let's take care of the end of our services. The last 10 minutes is the most important, in my opinion. Number three, you have zero, you have no second chance at a first impression. It is what it is. People already have negative connotations. People might have hurts or traumas or opinions or perceptions on the church. We don't get a second try at this thing. Our first initial interaction with people is so important. That's why our hospitality in our services and in our hallways and in the parking lot and in our kids' services matters so much is because that first impression, and we need to, we need to tell this to our teams and reinforce our teams of how important that first impression is which most of the time that's outside. It's they get out of their car. What is the first interaction? And you should probably count. I used to do this. I used to go to the parking lot and I, I would count the seconds of how long it takes me to get from the parking lot to the front door and how many interactions have I had? Because the first 15 to 30 seconds is actually when people decide whether that church is going to be their home or not. That 15 to 30 seconds, that first five minutes of them getting out of their car, walking in, that first impression and it might be a high-level leader that's standing by the door. It might be somebody in the welcome team holding a sign outside or the parking lot attendant. Whoever it is, that first impression, we cannot negate it. And including, think about this in a bigger context, the service. We don't take Sundays off. How ridiculous is that? Like you have an Easter Sunday, and usually the service after Easter is like kind of not good. You don't try. Everyone's tired. It's like, oh. We cannot lead that way. We have to always be on point because there's first time guests, hopefully anyways, coming to your church and to not take intentionality serious because we don't get, a, like I said, a second try at a first impression. You don't walk into a job interview knowing this is going to be my first impression. I'm not going to care. I'm not going to dress nice. I'm not going to smile. I'm not going to brush my teeth. 
I don't know. I'm probably not going to get good sleep the night before. No, you're going to take attention. I'm going to, I'm going to get good rest. I'm going to be hydrated. I'm excited. I'm going to be expecting. I'm going to go through my resume again. I'm going to go through the job description to know the, the answers that I'm going to give to this guy who's asking questions. All that. We got to think through our services. We got to be so intentional, like I said, and hospitable because we don't get second chances with people. People are already hurt. They already experienced somebody judging them, giving them weird looks for wearing their outfit to church. Like, just relax. Let's be nice. Like, is it really that hard to put a smile on your face, to be excited to see them, to love on them, to be for them, to encourage them, to help them carry carry their stuff to the kids' ministry with them? Say, hey, I hope you have a great day. I'll see you after service. Hence, number two, be there. So we don't get a second chance of this. We don't get a second try. There's no such thing as a three-strike rule with interactions. You get one shot. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect every time. I'm sure I've upset somebody or offended somebody the first interaction we've had. I understand we all have those days, but try your best to make sure that first impressions are a goal. Number four, you cannot lead people if you need people. I'll say that again. You cannot lead people if you need people. The need, the necessity of adding more is killing your ministry is killing your growth, is killing your internal growth, your personal development. The need, the lack of mentality of not being aware of how many people are already a part of the mission, already on your team, already serving alongside of you, you're missing out on that opportunity to steward them and love them. And we'll kind of go into this in a bit, but if you steward them and love them well enough and make sure their experience is a 10 out of 10, not every day, you're not perfect, but you are getting better. I guarantee you, your team grows. Your team will grow if you take intentionality and you love them well. Your church will grow if you are intentional about from the streets to the seats and from the start to the finish of each service. You care so much of that first impression, the 10 minutes after service, all of that encompassing together makes growth happen. But if you hear this and if you say this and if you have been around people who say this, I mean, we just we need more people to serving kids. We need more people parking cars, whatever it is. That need, that word need needs to be canceled from your vocabulary. We don't need anything. The God we serve is our provider, not just by our money, but for the people. Nowhere in scripture does it say you're supposed to recruit. You're supposed to beg people to serve. All that is great. I'm not saying it's bad. I've done podcasts. I've done episodes. I've done all of the above on recruitment, on the strategy of that. But we cannot base our leadership on need because need is the same exact spirit as a poverty spirit. A poverty spirit says, I don't have enough to do what God's called me to do. That's not who he is. He's everything he's actually called you to do. He has given you enough. He has given you what you're supposed to have. He's provision and he is a provider. So you cannot lead people if you need people. And because what's going to happen is you're only going to be flattering towards them because you need them. You're like, oh my gosh, I, I need them. I can't, I can't lose them. If I lose them, our ministry is going to fail. Yes, that's kind of a, a, a truth, but that mentality is going to lose them. Like you're going to lose your team. You're going to lose your friends. If there's this constant necessity of I have to keep them because they're not yours in the first place. They're God's. They're God's children. They ain't your children, bro. Stop doing that. If you can't lead people, you can't lead people if you need people. So that's all without number five, how you introduce change will determine the success of it. This is for any leader out there in the church or outside of the church. 
how you introduce the thing that you feel like God's telling you the church should do or your ministry should do or your team should do will determine the success of that specific thing. You don't want to introduce it when it's like, hey, in three days, we're going to change service flow or day of event stuff. You come in and introduce massive shifts. What you're doing is you're putting your team on the back foot. You're making them insecure. And we don't want insecure people because insecure, insecure people are vulnerable. And in their vulnerable state, if you're insecure, what you do is you manipulate them into fear. And we don't give them a spirit of fear, right? That's not who we are. We're not fear-based leaders. We don't want people to feel bad. But how you introduce change, even a bigger picture, you're changing the name of the church. You're changing the mission statement. You're changing the values of the church. How you introduce that for the very first time will determine the success of it which means that introduction is actually more important than the actual thing in itself. Whatever that thing is for you, whatever you're trying to change is important, but how you introduce it might be more important. So how you introduce change will determine the success of it. Number six, if your services require marketing, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. And that's kind of extreme, right? I'm a marketing guy. I've been in the marketing space for 10 years. I've owned a marketing agency. I've been a business advisor for 150 businesses been creative director for three different companies. Like I, I understand marketing. I understand it's so important. 99% of churches don't market their church well. I get that. But this statement still stands true. If your services and if your church needs and requires marketing, it's not good enough. That service, that experience that you're putting on, whatever it is, that team hang, that small group, if that in itself is as great as it should be, you won't have to market it. Think about this. Tesla has never spent $1 on advertisement. Why? And ask yourself that. Why does Tesla not pay for marketing? It's because their product is so great. It's innovative. It's sleek. It looks good. Elon Musk's personality, and again, personality doesn't sell, but it kind of does. How, how we take the intentionality of our product. And it's not a product, right? It's a, it's an organism. It's a body. It's a body of Christ. We understand that. But when you look at it like this, my hour and a half that I steward that God has entrusted me with, with 20 volunteers, let's say it's a church of 150, how you steward that experience for first time, second time, reoccurring, even people who aren't necessarily giving or serving yet. That in itself, if you take the intentionality of how great and, 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 and intentionality doesn't say it's perfect, you'll never have a perfect service. You want to have a perfect service. You won't be there. Nobody in the church will be there because we aren't perfect. We're humans. But your, your services, your youth ministry, it doesn't need marketing because if people have the experiences and the transformation that we know what happens when God moves in a church and in the body of Christ and in a worship experience in a message in the hallway in the parking lot even if that happens if life change happens they will be your marketing the person the 15 year old who comes experiences a presence of the god for the first time feels transformed from the inside out gives his life to jesus that dude's going to be on fire in his high school he's not going to need to reshare your 30 second sermon clip or the vice versa if you're a lead pastor and the experience on a Sunday, there's hundreds of people going out there, the life's being changed. You're not going to need to post about it. You're not going to need to advertise. You're not going to spend Facebook ads. All that stuff is great. I'm not saying that. Like I said, I'm a marketing guy. I understand the importance of marketing. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is 
And we need to care more about the level of intentionality we put into our services, our ministries, our ministry nights, our leadership nights, because I think we put a little too much energy into the marketing. And if we put that same energy into the experience, you would see growth in your ministry. So if you, if you, if your services, if your ministry requires marketing, it's probably not good enough. All right. Number seven, money is either an important thing or everything. This has been on my, on my mind for a couple of weeks now. My wife and I have been talking about this a lot, but money finances should not be your linchpin in ministry. That the, the financial struggle of living in America, again, we, we're blessed here. We're blessed. If you have a car, if you have an apartment, you are in the top 1% of, of financial stability in the whole world because we don't, it's not just one country, it's, it's a world. And the, the poor, the hurting, the sick, all of that, we have no idea in America. But what I'm saying is, where you live, you're in ministry, and you don't make enough money to survive. You can't even pay your rent. Or maybe you can pay your rent, but you're getting ramen noodles every night. Not against ramen noodles. I love ramen noodles. Here's what I'll say. In 2018 or 2019, I don't remember, one of those two years, I was working an overnight shift because I was trying to start my business. And obviously, you got to pay your bills. I was also in full-time ministry. So I was in full-time ministry. I worked an overnight shift and I was starting a business. So I worked about 120 hours a week. That lasted about six months. I have never been so broke, so hurting, so depressed, so hungry because I couldn't afford food. And that was a massive linchpin in my life. Now on the other side of it, my wife and I have other business ventures. We're not super wealthy. I would not say that, but we, we can have fun. We can enjoy ourselves. We can travel. And we have big goals in our finances. That's not a bad thing. Whoever told you that you have to be broke in ministry is ridiculous. I said this last night with some of my friends, but Christians should be the most wealthy people on the planet. Our, the entrepreneurs who love Jesus should be billionaires, trillionaires. You know why? Because we can be generous. We could change the world. And you change the world through what? Capital gain. And if you're just in ministry, and you are very, very broke, you need to have a conversation with your lead pastor. And if you're a lead pastor listening to this, maybe you need to have less staff to be able to actually pay them what they should be able to live off of. Because when you deal with people, again, I've been broke in ministry, absolutely horrible. And, it, and God pruned me so much in that season, and I, and I understood he's my provider, and he always will provide. I will say that. I never had a moment where I didn't think God wasn't going to provide for me. I understood that. But I also wasn't a good steward. Not having a job in ministry that's not paid in certain times, or you're doing online ministry, whatever that is, and you don't have a job and you're begging people for money, that is not the way God has designed generosity. I mean, God has designed generosity for what? It's an outflow of understanding who he is. So think about this. For God so loved the world, he gave, right? We hear that scripture, John 3, 16, all the time. So for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only gotten son. So that was his literally one of one prized possession, his son, okay? Think about this. Begging people to give you money, what, it, what is that emotion or spirit that is attached to begging people for money because you're broke and can't pay rent? I don't think that's love. I think that's a love of self 
and a need and an understanding of, of lack and not understanding God is your provider. But he's also provided you a brain to get a job. Like not being a good steward and then begging for money and then praying God to give you more money or it's just not how he works. We got to be faithful with whatever he's given us. And if he's given you a big vision and you think that you're going to reach 10 million people this year for Jesus online, do it. And if he called you to do it, he will provide. My wife and I just moved to California five months ago. We moved from Omaha, Nebraska. Rent is like triple here. I will never complain about it because I know God's called us to be here. AKA he will provide. And a huge indicator of him not actually calling me here and it was just out of feelings or emotion, you won't have provision. You'll go, great, I'm going to let you learn this lesson. And when you go back to where you're supposed to be or when you get a job, we can talk. So we cannot be broke. And I understand there's seasons and there's things that happen. There's bills that come up. I've had scary moments. Like I said, I literally used to eat just noodles and water because that's all I could afford. Or I would get the $1.49 nuggets from Burger King, skip breakfast, and eat the rest of the, the nuggets at for dinner. Like I get, I've been there, but I've also been places where I had a job and I had business and I worked really hard to get clients and I worked six months overnight to pay my bills. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. Again, what I'm saying is money is either an important thing because it's always important. It's important to build. It's important to save and to be a good steward and be a good financial steward or it's everything. And that will take up everything that you have, all the energy you have that you're supposed to be giving to the people. Because if you're in ministry, it's to serve people, to love people. It's not about you. You cannot be selfish and in ministry at the same time. You might think you're in ministry. You might have a title in a church, but you're not in ministry. Ministry is either important thing, or sorry, money is everything, or it's an important thing. So last two things here. Disruption creates attention. I've experienced this a lot. And I've also observed this a lot. Disruption creates attention. Think about this. We'll, we'll go individual and then corporate. Individual, the people who you see online going viral or the people who are very wealthy from the internet, from the Vine days even, those people were disruptors. And disruption is not bad. It's not a bad thing. Disruption's great. In times and in context, it's great. But it creates attention. And you got to you gotta weigh the balance of, am I willing to do this and carry the cost and be aware of the cost of getting more attention? A lot of people want influence until you get it. A lot of people want attention until you get attention. Because no time in your life, no time of any celebrity, any famous person, anyone who has a lot of followers, any big business person, any influential you name them, all the, all the famous people that we can list right now. I'm not going to list, list them because that's weird. They had a moment of disruption. There was something about them that wasn't a normal thing or a mundane thing, or they didn't look like everybody else. They didn't talk like everybody else. They didn't think like everybody else. They didn't, you name it, disruption happened and it brought them attention. Whether they knew it or not, whether it was subconscious or conscious, doesn't matter. They had attention. And some people are good stewards of that attention and some people are not because when all eyes are on you, you can either think, man, I, I did this. And there's people who actually genuinely did that. There's people who have created disruption in very bad ways and very toxic ways and very scary ways, right? But it does create attention. And I just want to beg you, I want to advise to you, if you want attention, disruption is the way you can do it. 
but you need to count the cost of what attention you're getting. And especially if you love Jesus, you better know what comes with that. If God's called you to say something, he's told you, and it's and it follows his word and it's true and you don't hear it, just be aware of the cost that's attached to that. And that is exactly what the disciples of Jesus did in the New Testament. They were disruptors. They were people who carried the message of Jesus in places where the people who killed Jesus, right? Like that's absolutely insane. Think about this. We'll, we'll shift into the bigger perspective of the church, your, in your church, your specific church. By the way, it's not your church, it's God's church. And anyone who says this is my ministry or my people, run away from that person right away. But churches that tend to create disruption and, and more attention than, than not, we've seen a ripple effect that happens with that. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. What I'm saying is it's real. It's a real thing that happens. And people who create disruption and churches who create disruption in a specific area, again, most churches, I would say, the past 100 years have sounded the same, Have might not look the same with their eyes. Maybe that's because of a geographic. Maybe that's because of a specific part of a neighborhood or whatever. There's diversity in our country. We're a very diverse country. But the disruption creates attention, and you just need to count the cost of that attention because you don't want to lose people. For instance, I'll give an example. I won't name the church, but there's, there's a couple of churches who brought in very conservative politicians. Again, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just bringing awareness to something that I've seen. What that did, and they interviewed them. It was on a Sunday. They had American flags all over. They played the national anthem, all of that. What that did was that brought unnecessary, I'll say that, attention to people that might already have an altered perspective about Jesus, might already have an altered perspective or been hurt by the church. And there also are some people who are jaded and don't actually know why they're hurt. They're not hurt by the church. They're not hurt by a pastor. They just had a bad heart posture or whatever. I get that. Or a bad spirit. But the disruption in that case, you're actually losing more people than gaining. And you got you to gotta weigh the cost, the, the cost of change. Do you care more about that current situation than your city? Do you care more about that person coming in because you want them to connect with you and you, for each other to follow each other on Instagram? Or do you care more about your city? Do you care more about the people who don't know Jesus? Because that's our mission field. You can have a service with a thousand Christians every Sunday, but you're not gaining any more believers. And there's not more people going into heaven by that service. The people on earth are growing and loving Jesus more. I understand that. But if you love Jesus more, you'll love his people more. You cannot love Jesus and hate his people. The people who hate people don't love Jesus. They have lied from the pit of hell in their heart, thinking that that's how they're going to get more people to heaven. It's not going to work. So disruption creates attention. Please be aware of that. Don't be a disruptor if you want attention. Because attention is going to come and... Sometimes attention is not good. Last one, and then we'll kind of recap here. Why build something with people you don't like? Why build something with people you don't like? If you don't like them, why would you build something with them? Like I've, and again, this is so different if you don't have the, the pioneer entrepreneur mind, right? Like if you're, you're walking into something that's already been built and it's kind of just on autopilot, it's very boring to me, I'm going to be honest. I want to be around something that is innovative, that's new, that's fun, vibrant. But you want to do it with the right people. The right, Rich Wilkerson Jr. says this, and I'm sure it was quoted from somebody else, but the right vision with the wrong people is irrelevant. Great vision, great strategy. You have a lot of finances back behind it. 
wrong people on the bus, it's not going to work. It will not work. I don't care how great you think you are, how great of a communicator you are, a worship leader you are. You have the wrong people on the team. Or maybe there's just one person on the team who's just a bad apple. And what does a bad apple have? That seeds, and those seeds will spread into the other apples. I'm telling you that right now. So why, why do it? Like, find something else to do. Or find a different church. Or, or have a conversation and, and find the solution. But to be honest, there's just people that we might not like. That's okay, by the way. You're gonna, I don't care where you are. You're at the mall or you're the President of the United States. There will be people that are at the table with you that you don't like. That's okay if you can figure out how to work together. But what I'm saying is, why do it? Like if, and if you can answer that, I love that. And please continue to do it. But what I'm saying is, what, like, what are we doing? Why are we wasting our time being around people we don't like? And again, it might be you. I'm going to be honest. It might be you and your heart postures off. You're just a bad attitude all the time. You're grumpy. You're tired. You're whatever. Not spiritually healthy. That, that's you. And again, seek help. Seek, have self-awareness enough to know that that's you. Have conversation with people. Hey, I'm sorry I've been grumpy the past three weeks. I don't know why. I'm sorry. And you probably don't like me right now. I don't like me either. Let's all work together. That in itself, that's great. People will laugh. And they'll affirm you. Dude, you're doing so good. Don't worry. Just relax. But if it's like an actual character issue, we got to have a conversation. Like, dude, let's, let's find different teams for you guys. Let's not have a conversation. It's like, I've just wasted so much energy towards people that I genuinely know at the bare bones, our values, our everything about us is so opposite. Why am I wasting my time with that person? Like, why am I? I love my wife. We literally, like the, the whole serve the house, find the spouse. I did that. I love my wife. I love her. I want to be around her. She's on a business trip right now. I love her. I miss her. I want to be around her. AKA, her and I build together. That's why we're married. We love each other. But I only have one wife. AKA, everybody else besides my mom and my dad, my sisters, I'm good. Like, I love you. I appreciate you. Shout out to whatever you're building. But if we don't like each other, we can't get along. Stop wasting your time with those people because you're just going to, you'll, you promise you, you will find people that are on the same wavelength as you, same vision. Get aligned with those people. Get aligned with people that will build with you, that you can laugh together, have fun together, go eat food together. Do, you don't have to just work together, but you can be around each other. And that's what family is. Family is, family is dirty. Family is hard. I get that. But why waste, why waste your time? Why waste your, the years of your life? We only, we're only are promised today. We are only promised today, so why would I waste an hour of my day wasting it with somebody that we cannot figure out how to like each other? That's just my thoughts. And those are my nine thoughts here. Again, like I said, these are not, these are not Bible verses. These are not absolute truths. I wouldn't even venture to say these are expert opinions. I don't know if I'm an expert or not. What I'll say is this. These nine things, I hope, would add value to you, help you think a little bit about your context, about the church you're building, about the business you see in the future, the spouse you see in the future, whatever it is. But I want to help you with this so much because it matters. The church that we are all building matters. God's house should be a house of excellence, should be a house of prayer, should be a house of transformation. All of that stuff happens when you get the right people on the bus, you lead with big vision, you introduce change the right way and you care about our services. And if you care about your services, again, you won't need marketing. You won't need to just spend money on mailers to get people to come one time and they're not going to like it because 
your team's grumpy, and that starts with you, by the way. So just to run through these nine, I'll say these nine statements again, and we'll wrap up, and we'll see you next week. So number one, stop calling your visitors visitors. Call them guests. Two, the 10 minutes after service are the most important minutes of that service. Three, you have a second chance for, you cannot have a second chance for first impression. You can't lead people if you need people. How you introduce change will determine the success of it. If your services require marketing, it is not good enough. Money is either an important thing or everything. Disruption creates attention. And why build something with people you don't like? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Thanks for watching this on YouTube. I love you guys so much. This community we're building is so much fun to me. I love you guys. Please, like I said, subscribe, like the channel, leave a review on the podcast. It means the world. Check out the resources in my link tree. I would love to serve you guys any way I can. We'll see you next week.